Hey everybody, it's Pastor Brian. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Mount Hope's Belmont campus. You and I make plans for our lives, and it's very rare that those plans go exactly the way we think that they will or that they should, isn't it? In this message, we talk a little bit about what we should do when our plans don't go the way we think that they will, what that means for our relationship with God, and we talk about the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans and some of his plans that really didn't work out. I hope you enjoy this message. I hope you find it applicable to your life. And I hope you listen closely because I believe that God has something he'd like to say to you. In a previous life, I used to work in sales for a pretty big company, Fortune 100 company, and we had this big sales team. And our sales manager used to say something to us. She would come to us, and, and when things weren't going too well, and we needed to change numbers and make more sales and retain more customers. And she would say, listen, don't forget, proper planning always prevents poor performance. And I'm not sure where she got that phrase from, but she said it over and over and over again. Proper planning prevents poor performance. And here's one thing that I, I think is true, and my guess is you think it's true as well, is that if we're going to be successful at anything in our life, the small things or the big things, it's important, isn't it, that we come up with good plans for what it is that we're going to do. When you have a good plan and you execute the plan, it's much easier uh, to take steps forward or get things done, isn't it? If this Christmas you want to make sure that everybody on your list gets a present, and that you save as much money as you can buying the perfect gifts for everybody, then we probably should put together a plan. Because if we try to throw it together last minute, we're going to leave somebody off the list, and we're probably going to end up paying more for items than we want to because we missed the sale. It could be as simple as you're going to go to the grocery store and you're going to get everything on your list, or something as complex as you want to switch careers. But no matter what it is that you and I are doing, it's important. It's important that we put in place good plans. I was watching uh, the NFL Network one day, uh, which I'm prone to do from time to time, and uh, Herm Edwards, who used to be the coach of the New York Jets, was a player in the NFL. He was, he was talking to a group of incoming rookies into the NFL, and he said to them this, he said, gentlemen, I want you to know something. A goal without a plan is a wish. I like that. I pulled out my phone. I typed that into my phone. I like that statement. A goal without a plan is a wish. And I've Googled that phrase. It turns out old Herm wasn't the first person to come up with it. Some other people have said that before. And there's the other phrase that we've heard before about planning, right? And that phrase is that failing to plan is planning to fail. Maybe you've heard that one. I've heard that one attributed uh, to the likes of Benjamin Franklin and uh, that, that planning Failing to plan is planning to fail. It's important that we have good plans. Now, as followers of Jesus, if you're someone that calls yourself a follower of Jesus, you're someone that loves God, we have a different kind of planning that we also do in our lives. We don't just plan to go to the grocery store and plan to get into a career and maybe plan to have a family or a house or whatever it is that we plan with our lives and our days. There's this other set of plans that we have as well, and that is the plans that matter not just in this world, but matter in the likes of eternity too. We don't want to just be successful if we're people that follow Jesus, which probably most of us in this room would say that that's who we are. 
We don't just want to be successful at going shopping and getting a good career and having a good family and maybe owning a home or whatever it is our goals are. We don't want to just be successful at that. We want to do something with our lives that matters in eternity. We want to see God when this life is over and have God look at us and say, well done. And if we're going to do that, then it's also appropriate and it's also important that we have in our lives plans in place, things that we're going to do for God, things that we're going to do with our time and our energy so that we have plans. So when we see God face to face, he says to us, you did a good job. Success comes when we make a plan and we execute the plan. That's where success comes in this life. Success in our spiritual life comes sometimes when we make a plan and execute the plan. But now here's the tricky thing about plans. The thing that happens when we make plans. The tricky thing about plans is that plans rarely go the way we expect them to, don't they? Plans hardly ever pan out the way that we expect that they will. I've given you two old phrases, this is my third one, and then I'm done. Maybe you remember this phrase, this old saying. It comes from a poem, it's adapted from a poem by Robert Burns, written many years ago. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. No matter what you put into place, chances are somewhere along the line, things are not going to happen the way you want them to. It could be as easy as you thought you were going to get into the grocery store, get the five things you need, and get out of there quickly. But you, go, you drive in, the parking lot's packed, they're out of three of the items that you need out of the five, and it takes forever to check out with the two items that you have that you bought off the shelf. It can be as simple as that, but then there's the big ones, aren't there? The plans that we put in place. And then things just happen. Life happens. And the plan changes. And it happens with our plans for God, too. We go to God and we say, God, I'm going to get this done with my life for you. God, I'm going to be this kind of person for you. Our family is going to do this for you. I'm going to set aside this time for you. And life happens and plans change. And then what happens is we feel like we are failures. If executing a plan, if having a good plan and executing that plan is success, well then having a plan that doesn't work out is that failure. And when it comes to the plans that we put in place in our life for God, when we put a plan in place and it doesn't work out, does God think that we are failures? This morning we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Romans and we're almost done with the book of Romans. In fact, we'll, we'll wrap it up next week. And at the very end of this book... The Apostle Paul, who's not in Rome, but writing a letter to, to Christians in Rome, tells them about a plan that he has. The issue that Paul has with this plan that we're going to look at in a few minutes is that this plan that he has, it really doesn't go the way that he set it out to go. Just like you and just like me, he had it all put in place. He knew how it was going to happen, but man, it did not go down the way that he thought it would. And I think that as we look at the way Paul planned and what happened to Paul, there's three lessons that you and I can learn, really important lessons that you and I can learn when it comes to planning out our lives and our relationship with God. 
We're going to be in Romans chapter 15 today. I'm going to start at verse 14, and I'm just going to read through the end of the the chapter. And in these verses, we're going to hear the plan that Paul has, the thing that it is that Paul wants to get done. And then we're going to learn three lessons about how we should plan, especially when it comes to being in a relationship with God. Here's what Paul writes, Romans chapter 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Ilicrum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written... Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while... At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and I have delivered to them, uh, I have delivered them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, here's Paul's plan. This is Paul's plan. Paul says to them, listen, I have wanted to come and see you. I've wanted to come and see you for many years, but I haven't been able to do it. And even now, I really want to come and see you in Rome. Most scholars think that Paul had met these people that were part of the church, that he had met many of the people that were part of the church in Rome through his travels in the region. But Paul himself had never actually been to Rome. So he had relationship with some of these people. They had met before, but he had never been to their house and to their church. And he wants to go. And he has a plan here of how he's going to get that done that he shares with the people. Now listen, as we look at Paul's plan, and we're going to talk about what actually happens here in just a second. As we talk about this plan, there's, there's three things that I think are really important for you and for me. You want to plan well for your life? Specifically, do you want to plan well for your life in a way that when you see God face to face, he says, well done? 
Here's three things I think we can learn from Paul. And the first of those three things is this. That for you and for me, our plans should always be subject to our present calling. That our plans should always be subject to our present calling. What do I mean by that? Paul says to the people this, listen, I really want to come and see you. In fact, I've wanted to come and see you many times before. But you see, you already know about Jesus Christ in Rome. You already are believers. And there's this whole region of people that God told me to go and minister to, and they had never heard about Jesus Christ before. And that's what God had called me to do. So I went and did that. And you know what? Now I would like to come see you. In fact, when Paul's writing this letter, he is in the city of Corinth. Does anyone know what modern-day country Corinth is in? Close. Greece. Corinth is in Greece. So Paul is sitting in Greece, and he wants to go to Rome. Now, that's probably like an hour and a half flight today, and even back then, that's a pretty short distance. He just has to travel a little bit through the Mediterranean Sea and just go straight west to Rome. He's very close to Rome. But he says, here's the thing. When I was traveling around this whole region, some churches gave me some money for the poor believers back in Jerusalem. It's not like today. If Paul hands that money to somebody else and sends them to Jerusalem, it would literally be years, perhaps, before he knew what happened to that money and if the poor believers in Jerusalem actually got it. So he feels a sense of responsibility. God is telling him to go and give them that money himself. He collected the money for the poor people. He needs to be the one who delivers it. So even though he's basically a short boat ride away from Rome, Paul is going to go back east a pretty good distance, much further than it would be to go west to Rome, back to Jerusalem, and then he's going to drop off this gift, and he's coming all the way back to Rome. Paul says this in these verses. He knows that if he does not do what God is telling him to do today, when he arrives in Rome, he will not arrive with God's blessing. He says, I want to arrive with God's blessing, and so I'm going to go give this money to the people in Jerusalem whom it was collected for. And here's what can happen to you and me in our planning. If you're someone that follows God with your life, if you're someone who follows Jesus Christ with your life, God has a purpose for you, and God has a present calling on your life. Very generally, all of us, we wake up every day. We love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We wake up every day. We love our neighbor as ourselves. And God puts us in different roles in our lives, doesn't he? He puts us in a role, maybe, as friend or neighbor or husband, or wife, or father, or mother, son, daughter, teacher, student, mentor, mentee. God puts us in different roles in our life, and God puts a present calling on us, and he says, I have you here to do a certain work. What we can't do, and what Paul was unwilling to do, was shortcut that present calling so that he could complete his plan. You see, Paul knew it was better for him to arrive late in Rome with God's blessing than it was for him to arrive early in Rome without God's blessing. And we can be tempted in our lives, can't we? When we have a good plan of something we want to get done, 
to shortcut the present work that God is asking us to do so that we can move ahead and complete the plan. We've all seen it happen. Maybe you've experienced it happen. The child, the teenager, the young adult who refuses to listen to the people that have been there before and have walked through it all before, but they know best and they have a plan. So rather than fulfill their role maybe as son or daughter or mentee or student, they go off and try to complete the plan on their own. The parent who shortcuts their current role, their present calling, so that they can gain greater success, greater notoriety in their work. We've seen it happen before, and maybe we've done it ourselves, where we sacrifice the more important calling to try to shortcut a plan. And we might reach our plan. We might become CEO. We might become the leader. We might be successful. But the challenge is, if we don't do what God is calling us to do in the present time, if we don't do what God is calling us in our present calling to do, then we might arrive where we wanted to be all along, but we'll arrive there without God's blessing. And Paul knew. Better I take my time. Better I go and do the work that God called me to do. Better I stay here and be a husband and be a father that God wants me to be. Better I stay here and I be the son or the daughter that God wants me to be. Better I, I just grit my teeth and do what it is that God is calling me to do, to love him and to love my neighbor and fulfill this present calling rather than run off and try to complete the plan on my own. And when you and I plan, we just need to be sure that we're taking into account what God wants us to do today. But there's a second thing we learn from Paul's planning. And the second thing we learn from Paul's planning is that our plan should always be subject to God's will. In fact, he says it right at the end of this passage in verse 32. He said, I'm going to do all this other stuff so that by God's will I may come to you with joy. You see, Paul knew that this whole deal was subject to God's will. It's whatever God wants at the end of the day. You and I are used to creating a good plan and then asking everybody to submit to our plan so that it can be executed. It's kind of like when we book a trip online. We put all the pieces in place. We plan the flight. We plan the hotel. We plan the rental car. We plan the activities. We see the final cost, and we review it over and over and over again, make sure we have the right seat assignments, the hotel room that we want, everything is in place, and then and only then, when it's all there and all ready to go, do we hit submit. And we expect whoever the company is that we're submitting to will carry out the plan on our behalf. I don't know about you, but this is how I often plan with God. I say to God, here's what we're going to do, God. I put it all down. This is how I'm going to live my life. This is how my life is going to go. This is how everything's going to happen. This is how we're going to plan a new church in Belmont. This is how it's going to happen. So now, God, now that I have it all laid out, I'm going to click submit. And now I'm relying on you to make sure all this planning happens. Once I, once I send this up to heaven, all this planning that I've done, God, it's your job 
to submit to it and get it done on my behalf. That's how we often plan, isn't it? God, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to be this kind of family. I'm going to have this kind of career. I'm going to do all these things. And now I've put it all in place. God, would you bless it? Would you carry it out? Would you do it for me? And Paul knows the opposite has to be true. That while we're planning, we're constantly saying, God, I'm planning this in my life. I'd like for this to happen in my life. But the entire time, God, I am submitted to your will. And if this doesn't match up with what you want, then this has to go. If we want to live lives where God at the end of it says, you did a good job, you did well on the journey, then not only do we have to submit our plans to God's present calling, but we also have to submit them to his will. Now, here's the thing we should never do. Our faith, your faith in Jesus Christ, my faith in Jesus Christ, should never be subject to our plans, should never be subject to our plans. Our faith, our belief, should never be subject to our plans. You know why? Because plans don't go well sometimes. In fact, here's what happened with Paul. Let me show you what happened with the apostle Paul. Paul was getting ready, and he had a plan. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I have a gift that I'm taking to Jerusalem. And then after Jerusalem, there's another country uh, that hasn't uh, heard about Jesus yet, where there's a lot of people, and I'm going to go there. All right, I want to take a selfie near the Rock of Gibraltar, and I want to tell these people about Jesus. So I'm going to Spain. And on the way to Spain, what I'd love to do, Paul says, is I'd love to stop by and I'd love to see you all in Rome. And this is Paul's plan, that Paul would go to Spain, and then he would stop off in Rome. Now, here's what actually happened, because there was Paul's plan, and then there's what actually took place. This is what happened. You see, Paul headed off to Jerusalem with his gift, and Paul had that gift that the church had given him for those poor saints in Jerusalem. And on his way to Jerusalem, this is all recorded in the book of Acts, chapters 21 through 28. On his way to Jerusalem, Paul got a warning from some people. He said, you know, while you've been away from Jerusalem for a number of years, you've been touring around, planting all these churches, writing all these letters, some people have been saying some not so much, you know, some not so nice stuff about you here in the city of Jerusalem. There's a lot of stuff on your Facebook wall you haven't seen yet, Paul. A lot of things circling around, and uh, it's not safe for you in Jerusalem. It's not safe. But Paul has this gift. He's like, I'm going anyway. So Paul shows up in Jerusalem, and he walks in the synagogue, and it's chaos. They are waiting for him. They are waiting like an angry mob to take him down. And all these lies that have been circulating about Paul for all this time that he's been gone, these people were waiting for him, and the Jews took him out of the synagogue, and they were ready to beat him, and they were ready to take his life. So Paul did the only thing that he could do when his life was threatened, and that is he claimed his citizenship in Rome. Paul's father was a citizen of Rome, and so Paul by birth was a Roman citizen, even though he was a Jew. And so Paul claimed that citizenship, which meant the Jews couldn't touch him. There was a Roman official that was also there, and he was going to let the Jewish people uh, beat Paul to get out the truth. But once Paul said, I'm a Roman citizen, that Roman official put a stop to it. They couldn't do that anymore. So the Roman official takes Paul to the governor of the area. His name is Felix. 
And they stand before Felix. And Paul says, listen, I've done nothing wrong and these people are lying about me. And Felix says, you're right, you have done nothing wrong. But rather than release Paul, he keeps Paul in prison. And his secret hope, the Bible says, is that Paul will give him a bribe to get out of prison. But Paul's not about to give this guy a bribe to get out of prison. So Paul sits there for two years. Not just a day, not just a week. Paul sits in prison for two years while this Felix guy continues to come around and say, Paul, are you going to give me a bribe? And Paul says, no. Finally, Felix is succeeded by a guy named Festus. He's the new governor in town. And Festus is trying to make good with the Jewish people that he rules over. And so he says to the Jewish people, I'm going to give Paul back to you and you can try him. He's been sitting around here for two years. Why don't you try him? Well, Paul knows how that's going to go. He's going to die. And so he then says, I appeal to Caesar, which is basically uh, in their governmental system being able to say, I appeal to the Supreme Court. And no one can touch Paul until he talks to Caesar now. So the king of the reason, I know this is confusing. There's Caesars and kings and governors. I get it. But the king, who is more powerful than the governor, Agrippa, and his sister Bernice, they roll into town. And Festus says, I got this guy, Paul. He's appealed to Caesar. And King Agrippa says, well, tell me his story. Paul tells the king his story. And the king says, why are you even in prison? You shouldn't be here. We should release you. But we need to send you to Caesar now. So Paul finally, after two years and some months, gets on a boat, headed for Rome. This is what he wanted to do all along. And they travel for a few months, and then it's wintertime. And they're looking for a harbor where they can safely harbor the boat. And while they're looking, a two-week storm hits, 14 nights, the book of Acts says. And the storm is so violent that they're tossing everything that they have off the boat, all of their food, all of their supplies, off the boat into the Mediterranean Sea. And finally, after two weeks, the storm is literally ripping the hull of the boat apart, and they decide the only, the only chance they have is to crash land the boat on an island. And so that's what they do. And they realize they're on the island of Malta, and they have to stay there for the entire winter. Now, if this isn't enough, for Paul, who just wanted to drop off some money for poor people in Jerusalem and then go to Rome. That's all he wanted to do. He's been imprisoned for almost three years at this point. He's been shipwrecked on an island. He has no idea what's going to happen to him. While he's on the island, he's bit by a poisonous snake. Just, just like the cherry on top. Bit by a poisonous snake. Now, God protects him from that bite, but it still couldn't have been fun. And finally, after the shipwreck, after the island, after the imprisonment, after the snake, Paul makes it to Rome. He's way late, like three years late. And he's not free. He's a prisoner. And Paul sits in Rome as a prisoner waiting for Caesar for another two years. So there was Paul's plan, right? Simple. And then there was what actually happened to Paul. Now here's the thing that happens to us. 
And this is why I say in Paul's story, we learn that our faith cannot be subject to our plans. Here's what can happen to you and to me. We have a plan for our life. We say, listen, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to look like this and my family's going to look like this and we're going to have this much money and I'm going to have this sort of career. And even when that doesn't happen exactly the way that we plan, we say, we'll, we'll, we'll adjust the plan a little bit and then I can see in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, it'll all look like this and maybe uh, today we'll do this and tomorrow we'll do that and then it'll all work out in the end. And then what happens is the diagnosis comes in or the broken relationship comes in, or the financial hardship comes in, and it blows up the plan. And when our faith is subject to our plans, here's what happens to you and it happens to me. When my faith is subject to my plans, when I say, as long as my plan is executed, I believe, and if my plan is blown up, I don't. When the plan goes wrong, we look up to heaven and we say, God, what are you doing to me? Do you love me? Do you exist? Are you real? I had a plan here, and I asked you to bless the plan. I asked you to submit to this plan. This is how my life was going to look. I was going to live this long, and I was going to have this many kids, and I was going to have this kind of family, and I was going to have this kind of job, and I asked you, I prayed that you would do it all for me. And the whole plan's a mess. So where are you, and what are you doing? And I know people, and you know people, and maybe you're even sitting in here this morning. And you're on the verge of abandoning God because your plan hasn't worked out. Because life has not worked out the way that you thought it would or that you planned that it would. You and I know people that have done this, and maybe you're on the verge of doing it yourself, where you're ready to walk away from this whole thing because you had a plan, and it's not going the way that you thought it would. When Paul arrives in Rome, and he sits there for two years, the guy has every right to be upset with God. You think about what we get upset with God for because we thought we were going to make a certain amount of money and we're making less than that. Or we thought we'd live in a certain place and we live in a different place. I mean, you think about the things that upset us when it comes to God. Paul, he had a good reason here. He's doing good work. He's doing God's work. And where has it gotten him? It's gotten him imprisoned. It's gotten him beaten. It's gotten his life threatened. It has him shipwrecked on an island where he's bitten by a snake. And then he arrives to Rome late and in chains. If anyone has a chance to be upset with God, it's Paul. But how does Paul spend those two years in Rome? What does he do with his time? Right here at the end of the book of Acts, we read. Acts chapter 28, verse 30. Paul lived there two whole years, in Rome, as a prisoner, at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Here's what I hope we understand through Paul's story this morning is that plans will always change. Your plans will change. My plans will change. Tomorrow may not happen the way I think it should. Today may not happen the way I think it should. Plans will always change. But God 
never changes. Plans are always subject to change. God is not. And Paul knew, no matter what happened in in his plan to go to Rome, no matter what happened in that situation, it never changed who God was. It never changed what God's will is. It didn't change what his present calling was to preach the gospel of Christ. Whether he arrived in Rome on a cruise ship and he was eating himself silly with pizza and pasta and gelato and cannolis and just enjoying his time. Or he arrived there as a prisoner in chains underneath the Roman government. No matter how he got off the boat in Rome, he had a calling on his life. And God hadn't changed. God's the same person. And so Paul had to do the work that God had called him to do. And in your life, your plans have changed. Things aren't going the way you thought they were going to go. But you still have a calling on your life and a job that God is giving you to do. To love him and to love those people that he's put around you. To serve him and to serve them well. And maybe some of us need to remember that it's about us submitting our plans to God's will. Not us creating the plans and then God submitting to our will. Some of us here this morning in this room just need to be encouraged. Not to walk away from this whole thing. Not to give it all up just because things haven't gone the way that we thought that they would or the way that they should. Because plans are always subject to change. Things will always happen differently than the way that we think they should or the way that we hope they will. But God never changes. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God considers Paul a failure? I mean, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. The plan was Jerusalem, Rome, Spain. You think God thinks Paul failed? Absolutely not. But why? If if success is having a plan and executing the plan, Paul had a plan, he didn't execute it very well at all. So why is he still at success? Because I think in the kingdom of God, God is much more concerned with who we are along the way than what we get done for him. I think that God wants us to have plans and wants us to try to accomplish things, but plans always change. God doesn't. And at the end of the journey, he's most concerned with who we've been along the way. Even though things went up and down, and even though tomorrow was different than we thought it was going to be, he's most concerned that our relationship with him doesn't change, and that we continue to follow him, continue to love him, and continue to do the work that he's called us to do. I promise you, if your plans haven't changed, even if they are drastically different than you thought they would be, I promise you that God has not abandoned you. I promise you that God still loves you and that God has a job for you to do. We're going to close our time this morning with communion. You know what I find interesting about this communion table? Is that it reminds us that even God's plans don't always work out the way he thinks they're going to. Because God created this world the way he wanted it, with a purpose, that his creation in him would have a perfect relationship. And that plan was totally messed up. And you know who messed it up? 
I did, and you did, because we sinned and we went against what God asked us to do. But what did God do when the plan was messed up? Did he abandon us? Did he walk away? Did he throw up his hands and say it's not worth it? Absolutely not. He sent his son, born in a manger, to die on the cross for your sin and for my sin, that the relationship between us and God might be restored. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. I'm going to invite those who are serving communion with me to come forward. Hey, thanks again for listening to this sermon from the Belmont campus of Mount Hope. If you live in the Belmont area, we'd love to have you join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you'd like to know more about Mount Hope Christian Center with campuses in Burlington and Belmont, Massachusetts, you can visit our website at www.mounthope.org.